0: And welcome to Tour Guide Tell All, we're your friendly neighborhood tour guides here to share with you a little bit of the more scandalous and fun side of history. It is Women's History Month. We are so excited. As we always say, though, women's history is American history. American history is women's history. But we love this month because we get to focus on some really, really interesting women. Uh, Before we jump into our episode, though, uh, as always, I am Becca.
1: I'm Rebecca.
0: And together we are the The Rebecca's. Rebecca's. (laughs) and um, we want to give a huge shout out as always to our patrons thank you thank you thank you to our wonderful patrons who help support the podcast in addition to the two regular episodes open to everybody they get a special patron only podcast this month's patron episode is about a really interesting set of women uh, and a pretty interesting element of military history and I'll just leave that that there. But for our patrons, be sure to keep an eye out for your special episodes and be sure to check out your patron benefits. It's getting to be spring. Maybe you're thinking about summer travel. If you're a patron at a certain level, you have access to take tours with us at DC by foot. So check that out, take advantage of um, your tour tickets. And if you are not a patron yet, this might be a great opportunity for you to start supporting the podcast. So thank you so much to our patrons and thank you to all our listeners. Uh, We love you guys. So yeah, it's spring it's Women's History Month. We talked last episode about a woman associated with the suffrage movement who had a much more scandalous past than one might think on the surface. And we are going to be talking about another woman also aligned with the suffrage movement, another woman who also has some scandal in her life, uh, a little bit of of intrigue. Um, So in many ways, they make a really interesting sort of set of women to discuss, and I I look forward to looking at the ways they are similar and the ways that they are very, very different. So I'm excited. I'm excited for this one. I am too. So we're going to talk about Alva
1: Vanderbilt Belmont, and I'll just say that from the first day we conceived of this pod, she has been on my list to talk about. I find her so interesting. She's a great intersection between feminism, and she spends a lot of time, like, upholding existing patriarchal power structures. So she's, like... The motto of my, like, history life is history is complicated, actually. And she embodies that in so many ways. And she also, you're going to get one of the most cringeworthy quotations ever later on. Stay tuned for that. And... That was just so interesting. We talked last time about Helen Hamilton Gardner, and I mentioned that these two women were contemporaries. And I didn't realize at the time how contemporary. Turns out, I looked at their dates, they're born the same week. Oh my gosh. <laughs> yeah, they're both born, like I was like, oh, they're around contemporaries, blah, blah, blah. And then I looked into it, and I was like, wait a minute, no, they're born, on, they're, they're born within six days of each other. So... They were exact contemporaries. Alva Vanderbilt Belmont is... This is not not a story about the haves and the have-nots. This is a story about the haves and the Um, have-mores. The Vanderbilt part (laughs) should have dinged you in on that one. She's not born Vanderbilt. She's born Alva Erskine Smith in January of 1853 in Mobile, Alabama. So she's part of like Southern elite. Her father's a lawyer and they live in alabama and she's born pre-civil war so she's born into an enslaving society i could not find any uh information about whether her parents were enslavers uh so i tend to guess that they were not uh but she summers in newport rhode island as you do and when she is young they move first to new york then to paris for a while you know because life is hard so this is the level we're talking wealthy very wealthy and then they move back to new york and at some point it is kind of i feel like her father has some boom and bust cycles as far as his financial well-being and as she gets into her 20s she is the oldest or the oldest living child anyway and she's gotta she basically figures out she's gotta marry some money because dad doesn't have any
0: well and even whether or not her family is actively involved in enslavement so much of the economic and financial investment is tied in that system that after the civil war whether or not you her family was in in they were enslaving actively I am with great confidence sure that her father was invested in that system which takes a huge hit economically and so I would not be surprised if that's a big factor too of post-civil war going okay now my dad's trying to figure out how to make money in a very new kind of economic world and might not have been as good at it. Right.
1: And I want to spend a minute we need to spend a minute for like narrative continuity with her childhood best friend whose name is Consuelo Isnaga, which is a great name. And there's a lot of great names in this episode just so get ready. Consuelo Isnaga is the daughter of a Cuban sugar merchant. And they, the two of them, are besties as like little little kids. Like they kind of run crazy and you know do stuff when they're little. And two crucial things about Consuelo Isnaga: number one, as they're becoming young women in their early twenties, uh, Consuelo Isnaga introduces Alva to a man named William Kissam Vanderbilt, who's known as Willie K. And Spoiler alert, they get married. That's where the Vanderbilt part comes from. Willie Kay is a Vanderbilt, and two things... Vanderbilt genealogy, you guys, is (laughs) a nightmare. The two things about him that are important to know is, first of all, he's the second son, so he's not the, like, heir. And he's the grandson of the Commodore. So we're only two generations into really fabulous wealth. And so one thing that all three of these people share in common, Alva, Willie Kay, and Consuelo is Naga... Is that they're rich ish, but not part of society. And this is the 1870s, and in New York society, Carolyn Astor rules the roost, and if you're not sort of of that sort of ancient New York class, she doesn't accept you. And so the Vanderbilts have money, but it's new money, and that's kind of where we all are. So in that way, Alva and Willie Kay are a good match. The other thing that Consuelo Isnaga does is she gets married herself. She marries a man named George Montague, Viscount Mandeville. Now, the term Viscount should be a thing. If you're American, we don't have Viscounts here. We don't have titles. So that should send you a signal that he's not American. He's British. And not only is he a Viscount, he's the heir to a duke. So his dad is the Duke of Manchester, which means someday he will be the Duke of Manchester, which means... The Alva's childhood bestie is now going to be a duchess, which is like Alva thinks this is very cool. <laughs> so put that in your head that we're going to come back to that. Alva and Willie Kay have three ultimately three children, two children very quickly. And then the third is a little later. Their daughter is named Consuelo after Consuelo as Naga. So like they are like super duper besties.
0: But you have to have another kid really quick because a daughter, right? Uh, right Got to have a son.
1: So the son's Willie Junior, and then their third child is comes much later, Harold.
0: I just want to share really quickly one thing I really like about Willie K is that, and I think this speaks to Alva is she knows she has to marry well, right? She has she is part of this system. She's part of the elite. She wants to stay there. Um, and she wants to move up. Like you said, from the the haves to the have more, she wants to be a have more, but also I think, especially in the early courtship and marriage, you know, Alva's a smart lady. She's an interesting woman. She's not a, you know, she's not a dullard and Willie K, because he's the second son and he's not the like heir, he's kind of the fun Vanderbilt. This is a guy who loves horses this guy who loves racing. He also dabbles in science fiction writing, which is like the Gilded Age, which is a weird hobby for a gentleman of this status to endeavor. He likes art. He likes dancing. He likes music. Um, And I just think it sort of speaks to Alva that she's practical and ambitious when it comes to her financial prospects. But she also does pick a guy who's kind of like an outlier a little bit in this world that he's kind of like a little quirky because he can be he is the luxury of sort of like hobbying about because he doesn't really think he's gonna have to do any real work
1: right he's not interested particularly in real work particularly as he gets older he wants to race yachts and have women And (laughs) and horses and in consort with women who are not his wife That'll come back around. Um, she likes to design houses, though. Alva is quite the house designer. There are nine houses that she either designs totally or renovates. Not all of them still exist, which is a shame. Uh, the first one is their house, and I use the term house loosely, <laughs> Yeah. Uh, in Manhattan. Uh, it is on was on Fifth Avenue between 5th and 52nd. She calls it the Petit Chateau, which is... Uh, petite is not the the word I would choose (laughs) it's like a whole block like this is a significant home and this is she wants to throw a masquerade party to sort of christen this new house to show that the Vanderbilts have arrived that she's a big deal 1883 Alva would have been about 30 and her and Willie Kay have two kids she is wants to be the Mrs. Vanderbilt there's a bunch of Mrs. Vanderbilt's, and she wants to be at the top. And so she's going to throw this elaborate masquerade. Reportedly, it costs $3 million, and that is in 1883 money. (laughs) Like, that's a lot of money for a party. She invites over 700 people, and it's, like, literally the event of the social season. And there's this very great story that seems to be pretty much true, that how she sort of gets the asters to recognize her. So in those days, the Vanderbilts were con- were seen as nouveau riche, as like, you know, they were parvenus, kind of wanting to be accepted by the New York elite. And Mrs. Astor does not want to accept them. And so Mrs. Astor has not officially recognized Alva Vanderbilt in society. There's a lot of Byzantine rules to New York society. Just, you know, it's complicated. At any rate, Uh, Alva one day runs into Mrs. Astor's daughter, Carrie, and Carrie is very excited about coming to this masquerade. She's planned to dance. It's going to be a big deal. And Alva says, oh, I'm sorry, I can't invite you. Your mother does not recognize me in society. We are not acquainted. And so therefore, I can't extend an
0: invitation to you. Which is harsh but also genius, genius because how is Mrs. Astor going to what are you going to tell your daughter that she can't go to the social event of the right. year the season at least right. um and certainly when Carrie's at a marrying age mm-hmm. where she is at the age to which she is starting to figure out who she might marry mm-hmm. and you're going to deny her the opportunity to be at this event
1: right this is all the marriageable men will be there she knows this this is the event and so Alva is It's genius what she does, knowing that Mrs. Astor is going to have to cave. And that's exactly what happens. Mrs. Astor pays a call on Alva Vanderbilt, and they, her and her daughter go to the Vanderbilt's uh, party. And Caroline Astor has this great quote, because she's asked about this, because this is obviously in every gossip column in New York City. Caroline Astor says, we have no right to exclude those who this great country has brought forward. The time has come for the Vanderbilts. And so this is like Alva's moment. Like she's at the pinnacle of New York society here. This is it. This is a big deal. And so she celebrates by designing more houses. (laughs) Um, She designs. So the house that I am most familiar with that you can go to of hers that still exists is Marble House in uh, Newport, Rhode Island. This is where all the elite go to sort of summer. And she designs a mansion now, if you've gone to Newport, the one you've heard of, the Vanderbilt mansion you've heard of is the Breakers, which is fantastic. Marble House is kind of down the street, and it's a little smaller. It's only 50 rooms. Yeah. Uh, it, and if you've
0: seen the Breakers, you can't build bigger than the Breakers, I feel like like it's there's not enough room in Newport to build I don't bigger. I feel like the structure would collapse
1: from the weight. Like it's you're not and we're not talking about just, you know, We're talking about marble and gilt and gold and all the finest things. So this is heavy stuff. It costs $11 million to make. And again, that is in 1880s money. $317 million in 2020 money. And the layout, so I've been through, you should go through Marble House, it's really great. The layout of the upstairs kind of gives you a clue about Alva's feelings on her children. And (laughs) that is, so the main bedroom is Alva's. Not Alva and Willie Kay's, but Alva's.
0: Willie Kay has- Which is not uncommon in this era. It is
1: not uncommon in this era. Willie Kay has a smaller, um, much more masculine bedroom next door. They do not have a connecting door, I will, like an interior connecting door, I will note that. But Alva's is massive. It's purple, it's like lavender. Her bed is on a raised dais and it's like a, bigger than a king size. It's massive. Next, on the other side of her, is Consuelo's room. And Consuelo has, Alva decorates it. It's all mahogany and all kinds of like, Lovely things. And then at the other end of the hall, practically in Siberia, seven rooms down, is the small closets for her two sons. They have these very small, spare, unadorned back rooms, basically. And you can kind of tell that Consuelo is her mother's favorite child. And she only has the one daughter, you know? Now... We're going to head back to Consuelo Isnaga for just a minute. Consuelo Isnaga, who's going to be eventually the Duchess of Manchester, she's the first wave of something that are called the dollar princesses, which are rich American girls who take their money and essentially trade it for a title. So we don't have titles in the United States. So this is doing a couple of things. First of all, you can't, no matter how much money you have in the U.S., you can't get a title. We don't have them. And so you want, of course, the one thing your money can't buy you here, which is a title. And so you're going to go over to Europe to get it. Aristocrats in Europe are falling on hard times. They need the cash. And so Consuelo is Naga, along with, actually, Jenny Jerome, mother of Winston Churchill, they're the first wave of these like dollar princesses. And it's a very simple exchange of title for money. It's very nice. And Alba thinks this is cool. And she wants her daughter to have a title.
0: Because she's already reached the pinnacle of society. So what else is left for her as a feather in her cap but to make her daughter a countess or a duchess or something that sounds fancy? And she also,
1: like, she hasn't been accepted by, were reluctantly accepted by New York society. And so what better way to snub them all than to say, oh, I don't care about you marrying someone in your circles. We're going to go overseas. We're thinking, like, international. And as it turns out, there are titles, and then there are titles. And for Vanderbilt, obviously only the best title will do. Um, The best title is, well, the best title is Prince, but that's royalty and that's a whole different thing. We're not gonna, that's a whole other thing. That's a whole other thing. But (laughs) the best title is a Duke and there aren't that many. There's like 25 of them. And so what are the chances that one of these Dukes will be like single and of like marriageable age when Consuelo becomes of marriageable age herself? And so Alva is going to raise Consuelo to be a duchess. She is speaks multiple languages. She is very well educated, lots of private tutors. She's Alva like designs this back brace to make sure that Consuelo has like perfect posture. And if you will put pictures of both of these women in the show notes, Alva's not, even in her prime, I don't think a woman we would describe as beautiful. The word I would use, the word that comes to mind when I see a picture of Alva is handsome. Like she's a handsome woman. She's not ugly by any stretch, but she's not, there's something not quite beautiful about her. She almost looks pugnacious.
0: Yeah, pugnacious is really good, Um, you know, and she certainly has the trappings, right? You see pictures of her and she's wearing beautiful gowns or she's wearing right, very respectful things. But she is not what what I think we would say is sort of classically beautiful.
1: And Consuelo is like her daughter is lovely, delicate. She
0: has that sort of like exactly I was just going to say that Victorian sort of ideal of Mm -hmm. like alabaster skin and the dark hair and very delicate and like fragile and lovely and ethereal.
1: And not that she wouldn't have had plenty of like men interested in her, even if she hadn't been beautiful, because she's got a lot of money. But Consuelo grows up very delicate and it doesn't seem to be very clear. It seems to be very clear that Alva does not care about her daughter's personality at all. Like whatever Consuelo wants does not seem to matter. Alva wants Consuelo to marry a title and that's what Alva keeps striving for.
0: And it's sort of amazing, too, because I think about Consuela is, you know, she is now, because of her mother's aggressive sort of, like, push into New York society, she is hobnobbing with the richest marrying men in the United States. She's growing up among a particular class and set in the United States, and yet she's being told, don't even think about it. You're never going to marry any of these guys. Don't get too, don't get too attached. And Alva's, like,
1: very much like, well, we don't want you to fall prey to fortune hunters. You know, like, you're young and innocent, and we want to make sure that you make a marriage with somebody who will appreciate you, and then Alva does exactly that, like, basically. But because he has a title, it's okay. (laughs) That's
0: a different kind of fortune hunter.
1: It's a different kind of fortune (laughs) hunter, apparently. And Alva is, so the, the duke that Alva has in mind is the Duke of Marlborough. His name is Charles Spencer Churchill. And he's a cousin of Winston Churchill. They're actually first cousins. And he's age appropriate for Consuelo. He's about six years older, but that's not, that's immaterial. And Consuelo at this point is about 18. And she, Consuelo, very much wants to marry someone else. A rich New York society guy. A guy who should have made Alva very happy. But Alva wants the title and will not be dissuaded. And she essentially locks Consuelo in her room until Consuelo agrees to marry the Duke. And the story goes, so this wedding is obviously the biggest deal since whenever. It's the biggest society wedding of the, the year. And Consuelo, the story goes that Consuelo's eyes had to be iced down the morning of her wedding because she was crying so hard. Like she did not want to marry this guy. And part of, and we'll get back to Consuelo and the Duke in a little bit, but part of the reason that Alva's insistent on this is because Alva is going through some marital issues of her own. <laughs> Alva and Willie Kay's marriage doesn't really work out, which we probably, you probably figured out, we hinted at it. Uh, Willie Kay really likes yachts and horses and women who aren't his wife. And marriage in those like marriage at this level is not necessarily for love. Basically, you marry, you're supposed to have a bunch of kids, and once the kids having is done, you can do your own thing as long as you're discreet about it.
0: Discreet and proper and appropriate.
1: And Alva seems Alva's not like purist-driven snow. She seems to have been having an affair of her own, but Willie Kay is like flagrant about his. Infidelities and Alva, apparently by this point, they can barely stand the side of each other. And so rather than live with it, Alva's gonna sue him for divorce, which is not done.
0: It's not not just not done, it's legally quite difficult for women in this era to do this. If divorces were sought, they were typically sought by men uh successfully. Um, and at this level, this you know, micro top 1% level, it's just not done. You're supposed to live with it. That's supposed to be the trade off for all the money is you make it work or you make it seem like it's working. So for her to take that step is such a huge breach of sort of the social contract. And it's such a big, you know, I think leap for a woman to say, I want to end this marriage, um, which he doesn't seem to, to have any disagreement with. <laughs>
1: No, Willie Kay doesn't seem to care one way or the other, honestly. And Alva's basically like, look, I don't want to live with this anymore. This sucks. I want out. Uh, and so she's going to, this is part of the her focus on Consuelo's marriage, is to distract from this, like, bomb that she's dropping on New York society. Like, divorce in this set is not done. And immediately after the divorce is final, literally two months later, she's going to marry uh, a man named Oliver Hazard Perry Belmont. Which again, there are some epic names. <laughs> Oliver Hazard Perry Belmont is a name. His grandfather Matthew Perry is the Commodore who opened up Japan. So that's the little nugget on his side. He's got a cousin who's a like a daring early days aviator. Like he's there's a, he's very rich hangs out with Willie Kay. They've been friends for years. Her and Oliver Bell, uh, Alva and Oliver Belmont have been having an affair for a while, it seems. He's a banker and a publisher. And they actually were kind of happy together.
0: This seems to be a little bit more of a marriage for love or passion. And I I don't think Alva has any you know, she's certainly not going to marry a man who's penniless at this point. She's used to a certain lifestyle, and she will obtain a pretty sizable fortune from her divorce from Willie Kay, but that does not guarantee her that she's set for life. And so I certainly think the fact that Oliver has pretty maybe not quite Vanderbilt money but pretty darn close amount of money doesn't hurt but they certainly seem to have more of a relationship more of a bond beyond sort of youthful perhaps passion or interest and I really like I kind of like that I like that they seem to have they enjoyed spending time together and sharing pursuits together as opposed to sort of Willie Kay who went off and did his own thing through most of his marriage to Alva. right yes
1: And they're married pretty happily for about 13 years, and then he dies very suddenly. And as a widow, Alva kind of takes a right turn and becomes a very vocal advocate for women's suffrage, which is kind of fascinating and kind of interesting. She hears a lecture by Ida Houston Harper and is drawn in further by Anna Howard Shaw into the women's movement, into feminism, into being involved first at the state level, New York state level, and then uh, the national level. She's going to give a lot of money away to the cause, both here and in the UK. She supports labor movements, particularly the Shirtwaist Strike. If you listen to our episode about Frances Perkins, we talked about the Triangle Shirtwaist Factory fire. Uh, She pays the bail of picketers. She's going to form the Political Equality League to seek broad support for suffrage in New York. And she's going to also, and this is, I found, really fascinating and kind of interesting. She's going to attempt to integrate the suffrage movement in New York with immigrants and African-American women. So she kind of recognizes that this is becoming elite and white and wants to sort of include uh, women of color uh, and immigrant women into the suffrage conversation. This is a uh, for a woman who's from Mobile, Alabama, you would not expect that necessarily. She eventually, she sets up a settlement house for suffragists in Harlem, so basically like a halfway house for uh, women who are kind of down on their luck or who have suffered because of the way that women were treated. She's going to merge her political equality league with Alice Paul and Lucy Burns to form the Congressional Union for Women's Suffrage or the CU. And so Alice Paul, who's a generation younger than she is, and Alva Vanderbilt Belmont become, I don't know if friends is the right word, but definitely
0: associated. They become allies, I think, in this sort of fight. And this is one of the things I find very sim- or uh, very interesting is she is, like as you noted, truly a contemporary to Helen Hamilton Gardner. They they are literally from the same sort of cut from the same cloth, Southern background, blah, 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 blah. And yet when it comes to the suffrage point, Helen Hamilton Gardner really leans hard into NASA and in a very more traditional way of doing things and surrounding herself with women closer to her age. Whereas Alva Belmont sort of like, maybe these young women are onto something, maybe Alice Paul, Lucy Burns. And then certainly because of Alva's international um, interests and flair. She's well aware of what Pankhurst and women in England are doing. And she really seems to think that that's the best method for this. And she really aligns herself with a generation of women younger than her, which I find really sort of interesting. And I think it's kind of part of being a widow, too. She's got a widow twice over with more money than God. Right. She has the the luxury and the ability to sort of like push push the envelope. What does she have to lose at this point?
1: Exactly. I think that that she just basically, she doesn't care what society thinks of her really anymore. She's got more money than she could ever spend. And why not? And she, at this point, Marble House, her mansion in Newport had been closed while she was married to Belmont. And then she reopens it and has like these elaborate very large women's suffrage meetings. And in fact, if you go to Marble House today, they still have the china that reads votes for women in the sort of cabinet when you go down the stairs to the kitchen. So she has, she basically uses her fame, her wealth, and puts it at the service of the women's movement, which is really kind of genius. And she kind of understands or seems to understand that no matter how progressive you are, you need money. And she's got money, and so she can donate that to uh, the cause. She establishes the National Women's Party with Alice Paul in 1916. She is elected the first president, and that's a position she'll hold until her death. She helps to organize the first White House picket, the Silent Sentinels. Which, imagine, like, again, this is a woman in the 1% of the 1% picketing outside the White House. It just is such an interesting illustration of sort of the breadth of this movement. Like we've talked for three episodes now about women who did this. We talked about Mary Church Terrell. We talked about uh, Helen Hamilton Gardner. All of these women are picketing in front of
0: the White House. So imagine like... Well, Helen Hamilton Gardner is not picketing. You're right. She's
1: not picketing. She's going into the
0: White House. But she, she's, um, she's going into yes. the White House. Yeah, she's working her way in and worming her way into Wilson's inner circle. But three women all sort of engaging in this movement actively in their way. Yes,
1: and it's just, it's such an interesting, like it takes so many different bedfellows to sort of get this like passed. And she, in 1921, so after after the suffrage amendment passes that next year, she's gonna purchase what was known as the Sewell House, was later the Suell belmont house and then today is the belmont paul national women's equality monument she purchases this house which is one of the older houses on capitol hill it is still there it is gorgeous 1799 colonial brickwork it's really lovely and she purchases this house for the national women's party and it has been their headquarters ever since and it's gorgeous and i haven't been well obviously no one's been in since pandemic it's been closed but Um, I haven't been in in a few years but it's really lovely and really fantastic
0: it's incredible I mean and it's it's an exceptionally generous gift. And and for Mm -hmm. Alva Belmont, it's a drop in the bucket in terms of of funds. But for the National Women's Party, who had been renting spaces, bouncing around, had been located closer to the White House, but um, real estate's getting more expensive, um, and they don't need to be as close to the White House once the 19th Amendment passes, they feel that they need to be on Capitol Hill to really focus on the Equal Rights Amendment and other elements of sort of integrating women into legislation. Um, For Alva to purchase this house that across the street from the Supreme Court um, and right next door to what are today's Senate office buildings. Um, She really gives them a proximity that they're going to need and that they really utilize for the next 50 years as they're a very active lobbying uh, organization. And for her it's sort of just like whatever, you know, a little house, a little chateau. This is truly to her a petite chateau. Right. Because compared to any house she's owned. It really is. And she never lives there. um, And not only that, she pays to help furnish it. She pays for materials, equipment. Um, She will um, pay salaries. She is the money machine. For the National Women's Party, which also does give her a lot of control and does give her a lot of a sort of it's my way or the highway about it, which is sort of the the catch 22 sometimes of when you have such a generous donor. But she is also so genuinely committed to the cause that I think in the long run, it's truly to the NWP's benefit.
1: I agree. I can see how this must have been the strangest of bedfellows you know, this very rich society matron with these sort of young upstarts that Alice Paul and Lucy Burns then were. And I can just see, imagine that sort of, it must've been an odd marriage, I guess. But um, Alva pays for a lot of the work that goes into suffrage and a lot of the work that kind of goes into-
0: And she opens up, uh, she keeps Marblehead in her divorce from Willie Kay and she opens up Marblehead for suffrage meetings, suffrage conferences. She lets suffragists stay there, um, which I think is incredibly generous. So um, even before she acquires this, she's opening up her own homes and her own spaces to to these women and to the cause. So it must've been, I do think like, What was it like to have been, say, uh, an Alice Paul who comes from an upper middle class background, but by no means this sort of background, to have then been invited to stay at Marblehead (laughs) and hold suffrage conferences there? It must have been just
1: so interesting. And to basically write a blank check for this. It's just basically what Alva does is she writes a blank check and they spend her money to do this. And by this time, by the time suffrage happens and she purchases the Belmont Paul uh, house, She's not a young woman any longer. And she's going, she's also a widow. She's going to relocate to France to be closer to her daughter. Now, Consuelo's marriage (laughs) doesn't really start out that great. And it doesn't really go great from there. Basically, on their honeymoon, the Duke informs Consuelo, who is all of 18 at this point, that he basically married her for money and an heir. And after that, they're going to live their separate lives. And so imagine, like, poor, I just have so many sadnesses for Consuelo. She's 18. She has two kids real quickly, the heir and the spare, which is actually a term that she coined, believe it or not. And by her early 20s, she is in Blenheim Palace, which is where the Dukes of Marlborough live to this day. She's got two young kids and her husband doesn't really care so much about her. He's going to do and pursue other interests. And it just, it's so sad to me. Uh, Their marriage, it never recovers. It didn't start out well, and it never gets any better. And eventually, they decide that they want to divorce. But here's the sticking point. They got to figure out a way to divorce that ensures that their son, his heir, inherits the duchy. And so basically, And he's got another woman he's interested in, another American, as it happens. She's got another man that she's interested in. They have, by this time, this is the late teens, they have lived separate lives for most of their 20-plus year marriage. And he is, with her consent, going to sue for an annulment. And Alva actually testifies at the annulment hearing. Basically says that she forced Consuelo into this marriage. And so they're able to dissolve this marriage through some like legal maneuver in such a way that their children are not disinherited or considered illegitimate. Her son eventually inherits the duchy. And in fact, Consuelo's like great, great grandson is the present day Duke as of 2022. And her and Consuelo kind of mend their relationship, which I think is nice. Um, She moves into uh, Chateau d'Ogerville in France which is near apparently one of Consuelo's homes. Note, they have several of them. Yeah. Um, And she restores that and spends the rest of her life basically doing that. She has a stroke in late 1932 and she dies in Paris uh, just after her 80th birthday in 1933. Her funeral is in New York City, features all female pallbearers, which is delightful. Uh, And many, many suffragists turn out to pay tribute to this woman who helped fund so much of their cause. She is buried with Oliver Belmont in New York.
0: Which I I think speaks to who was the, the love in her life (laughs)
1: <laughs> yes, who was the the man in her life. Exactly. Like Consuelo marries again, like after the divorce happens, she marries again. But she's buried with her first husband because that's where her children are buried. So Consuelo goes back to be buried with her first husband, but Alva mar- is buried with Belmont. And the quote, Becca, are you ready for this quote? I am, yes. Okay. The quote is, and this, I should con- put this in context. This is a quote that she gives. Uh, Before she's deeply involved in the women's movement. So when she's sort of the queen of New York society. And the quote is this. I know of no art, profession, or work for women that is more taxing on mental resources than being a leader of society. (laughs) Insert your eye roll here, friends. If that's, I feel like the woman who like cleaned out her chamber pot every morning would have a few things to say about mentally and physically taxing labor. It's just so great. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I always like, and this comes from a letter that she wrote uh, during the suffrage movement, pray to God she will help you. <laughs> yes,
1: that's another great one. She will help you.
0: That's always my sort of little favorite Alva, Um, and it comes into more, you know, at this time where she's sort of turning away from a lot of the more traditional trappings of her upbringing and this sort of pray to God she will help you, I think, is uh, maybe a a little bit of an insight into how she evolves as she she matures and reaches kind of the widow stage.
1: We should put that on a t shirt. (laughs) um. I feel like, and this is why I feel like Alva's so interesting, because she has so many different twists and turns. Like, she's very much a feminist and a suffragist and puts literally her money exactly where her mouth is. But at the same time, she's deeply invested in these, upholding these structures that place her at the top of the social heap. She literally forces her daughter into an arranged marriage with, like, A latter-day feudal lord who makes it clear to her that the only value she has to him is her bank account and her womb like if that's not the most patriarchal like set of circumstances ever i don't know what is but at the same time like alva's this great feminist and devotes a lot of time and money to the cause so she's this really interesting characterization of so many different things that are going on so many different things that are happening at this particular moment which is why i really wanted to talk about alva
0: And it really is, you talk about the moment, so much is changing in Alva's lifetime. And if you look at the circumstances for her, the circumstances for her daughter, and then for sort of the next generation, so much is going to change in a short amount of time. In terms of DC connections, absolutely. Belmont Paul is a place you should visit. If you have not, it is still closed due to COVID. Uh, Hopefully a lot of these park sites that have been closed will be reopening this spring. That seems to be the news that we're getting from National Park Service is that you'll start to see Belmont Paul and other historical houses reopening in the spring. It's, exceptionally well maintained, very well restored. And because it has essentially passed straight from the NWP to the National Park Service, they have in their collection much of the original materials used by the suffrage movement. And when you walk through, you will notice you read the labels so much personally purchased and funded by Alva Belmont. Um, including quite a number of um, impressive works of art. So bus that were commissioned by Alva. And we did an episode uh, ways back on Adelaide Johnson, sort of the sculptor of the movement. And Belmont is her biggest patron. She's paying Adelaide to create these busts of Susan B. Anthony and these important women of the suffrage movement. I am personally quite devastated that you cannot see her Manhattan home anymore. And what sort of blows my mind is that, that ha- house, that mansion, this massive mansion actually gets torn down before she dies. So in in her own lifetime, this wasn't something that gets torn down in the 60s, 70s, 80s. It's uh, demolished in the late 1920s, which is just devastating to me because I would have loved to be able to walk down the streets of New York today and still see that sort of grandeur On display.
1: So many of these great big homes that are built at this time have been torn down, like the Astros and the Vanderbilts and their gigantic houses. Unfortunately, so many of them are just non existent. Alva, like, intersects also with so many other people we've talked about on the pod. We did an episode in part about Consuelo and her connection to Winston Churchill way back at the beginning. We've talked about Gosh, a bunch of, We talked about Stanford White. He is active at this time. Alva did not employ him. He was not her f- favorite architect, but he was active in New York society at this point. So there's a lot of intersection with the sort of Gilded Age um, and progressive movement sort of with Alva. And ma- the Marble House in Newport, you can go see. You should go see. It's really extraordinary. And uh, her... Well, if you get to France, the Chateau apparently is available for a tour, but you know, France. <laughs> but the house that she designed with her second husband has been torn down. There's a house on Long Island that she designs, which apparently is not uh, in its original state. So several of her sort of house housing efforts have been uh, altered or altogether demolished, which is unfortunate. But she didn't design on the cheap, as it turns out, and not a lot of people can afford to pay those property taxes. <laughs> Uh, but yes, Alva is really great and just such a, she's one of those people in the women's movement that just makes you think about so many different things, uh, and about sort of where women are in society and about women linking themselves up with men in particularly white women, linking themselves up with men in order to, uh, advance themselves socially. So there's a lot of stuff going on with Alva. That's really kind of interesting to me.
0: Absolutely. Um, I love this. I love sort of um, women like this, like you said, history is complicated. We talk about this a lot about exploring female figures in history in particular and embracing the messy and the complicated and complex. And I think Alva really embodies that. Um, I encourage everybody to be sure to check out the show notes for our episodes. I will include some pictures and links, um, especially of these beautiful um, structures. And um, so you can get an idea of what Alva looked like and what her very, very beautiful daughter um, Consuelo looked like uh, just for a little compare contrast Um, We will be back next month. Uh, If you're not a patron, obviously you'll get your patron episode, but we'll be back next month. It'll be April. We've got two really fun topics. We're going to go back a little bit and talk about a civil war era topic, and then we're going to go out west again. And uh, dig into some Western history. So we have two really uh, fun topics coming up. Um, We always want to know what you want to hear. So be sure to pitch the pod. You can follow us on social media, Twitter at Tour Guide Tell and Facebook and Instagram at Tour Guide Tell All. Or you can email us tourguidetellall at gmail.com. Give us your pitches. Give us your feedback. We'd love to hear what you think. I think that's... Yeah,
1: that was really great. This is fun. Come back in April. We've got, the spring is like loaded. We're good. We're ready. Um, Next month is going to be two more fun topics. So thank you guys for coming along with us and see you next time. Bye.
0: Bye guys. I'm your host, Kandan Arseniega. Dan King and I do the intros, the editing, the admin, Becca Grawl and Rebecca Fackner do the research and the talking. We are all guides for free tours by foot in Washington, D.C. This is Tour Guide Tell All. Until next time.